This is the Visual Developers Podcast with your hosts, Lacey Kessler, Matt Varghese, and Ben Parker. Interviews, no-code reviews, tutorials, and more, we're here to talk about all things no-code. Hey, everybody. Ben here with Visual Dev FM, back for another episode, joined as always by my co-hosts, Lacey and Matt. Hey, and this week, um, we have a fun episode. We, on Monday of this week, we were uh, honored and, and glad to be a part of a class at Stanford to talk about no-code. And it was sort of getting to share some wisdom, sort of an AMA, and uh, we wanted to, we had some questions about like, what was talked about and what was covered. So we figured we'd just recap that here and talk a little bit about um, what people at Stanford, people in this class were asking and um, what the conversation looked like. But before we get there, um, as always, we're going to cover what's new in no code. And so I'm going to jump in there first. So first things first, Webflow. A Webflow World Tour is next week. So next, like less than seven days away, I think at this point. Um, and so if you want to learn more, we have a, a link in the show notes to a Twitter thread about what you can expect. But each event has like a main stage, a demo theater, virtual booths, attending networking, global maker day to wrap up the tour. We talked about that maker day last last episode. Um, and so each each event will kick off with a keynote and uh, there's a bunch of details there. So like, I think this thread, it feels like it's like 20 tweets long. So jump in there, check it out, get all the details, but make sure you're a part of that Webflow World Tour. It's going to be so cool. And uh, can't wait to see you there. Um, Webflow University. Uh, this happened, I feel like we released our last episode and then it just kind of came out <laughs> right after. But there's a new Webflow University, Webflow University 2.0. Um, and so if you're one of those people who loves, like I can just binge watch university episodes and it's funny, most of the content at this point I know, but like I can still watch these videos and I feel like I'm learning something and I laugh really hard. Uh, a lot of good comedy there, really enjoyable. So if you want to pick up some Webflow, um, tips, tricks, and learn some, some cool things, but also just be super entertained, definitely go check it out. It was the number one product of the week last week on product hunt which is incredible. So uh, props to the team who built it at Webflow. Um, so many different people involved. I think it's like Federico and, and Sarah and uh, Micah. And I'm going to leave people out probably. So this is probably a, a bad thing to do, but start naming people, but props to them. Super cool work. Uh, I think it was really cool. Also Webflow released some product updates that were small, but impactful. So uh, first thing, if, I think everybody's talking about anytime Stripe does something, people talk about it. Like, um, and they had a, you know, a new site design and they had, they were using text clipping um, where and essentially text clipping lets you put a background on a text element, whether it's an image or a gradient or a color, and then you can clip that um, and, you know, make it, let the text clip it. So it's just like, uh, it's not seen behind it, um, which is pretty cool. So that's now built into Webflow which is really awesome. You don't have to write any custom code to do this. It's just no code. You can do it, which is really great. Uh, introduce the CH unit, which is great from uh, a readability, uh, accessibility uh, standpoint. Essentially, we can think of CH units. Like you could take a, a, 
a text element, a paragraph or, or what have you, and give it a, a max width of 60 CH or 100 CH or 120 CH. And essentially CH is, if you had it 100 CH, it would be 100 zeros in that font. Um, so that wide, which is pretty cool. And then it won't go any wider than that. It wraps it. It makes it where your eyes don't have to work too far, too hard going back and forth. So I think th- this question might be good for people listening. Cause I had this question for you. When, when would I use CH over using a container or maybe, maybe when isn't the right question, but why would I use that if I want to constrain width, or why would I use that over doing a max width on like pixels? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, you, it's probably just will uh, will cut down on the amount of work you have to do. One, make things a little bit cleaner. But like a really great use case is let's let's say you have a paragraph in the hero section, and you know you don't want a percentage, you don't want it to to because the way things vary, you want it to like definitely will be readable at every breakpoint. You can place it on there. But another great part is like a lot of people do containers. Um, and then you have to have a combo class on a container where you have like a lot of people create a container. You can create a container flex combo. You create a container narrow combo, yeah. a container like flex vertical. Like, so you have all of these different combo classes and you could literally use your same container. Um, and then just on your rich text element, put like whatever CH on it. And it's not gonna, you don't have to worry about having containers or doing all that extra, right. extra work really, really okay. going too far on that. So yeah. Um, so it's really cool. So that's, that's out. And then um, one that I think people have talked about the most is clean up unused interactions. Um, I feel like this is something that, I don't know, working support, I feel like this is something I hear from time to time, you know, like, oh, I really wish there was a button I could click and just get rid of all the interactions I'm not using anymore. Um, and so that's pretty cool. This is a godsend, and I am so eagerly awaiting, the, I hope, the next iteration of this, which is delete unused assets. That is on my wish list forever, and when it, when it comes can out, I can't, you can't? Yeah, you select all, so save your project, and then select all your assets, delete them all, and then go back oh, into your workflow. Oh, you're right, you're be, right. I saw that. I saw that hack. I did not register that until you. You have to republish for your assets that were are being used to reappear. So like it will look yeah. like they disappeared, even if you refresh. But as soon as you republish, like all those assets that are being Very used. Very interesting. Show back okay. Up. On my wish list. It's, it's not an official. Less, yeah, it's a less hacky way. That's on my wish list. <laughs> Not an official that's actually, that's actually good to know i feel like there's probably i mean myself included i totally forgot about that it's probably good for all, everyone listening to know yeah yeah i think there was a big thing on twitter about that too yeah where somebody posted it um so uh, i'll have to do some searching for it see if i can find it um talk so we wanted to talk a little bit about i think vlad posted about this and david who's our director of design uh but what is doing dream big week this week and so it looks like it's like a uh, company-wide hackathon where a lot of cool things going on. But I noticed that there's uh, – so I can – I guess Vlad tweeted about it, so I can talk some about it. But, like, some people in the company aren't doing their normal gigs. A lot of people are, like, moving around, floating. Some people are building things. Some people are learning. Some people are actually leaving their normal job into a customer support, putting the customer first, which is really cool. So to have people like Vlad and – 
PMs and QA engineers answering customer questions. Really cool. So um, fun, fun week at Webflow, but uh, now that's Webflow news. We wanted to talk a little bit about the Zero Code Conference. Um, so we mentioned this before in another show, but uh, they have broadened the lineup, which is really awesome. And uh, Lacey is now a part of the speaker lineup. So woo-woo, congrats, Lacey. And also Samantha Lloyd, uh, which is really cool. It's exciting to see her at it as well. Um, so it looks like they're going to continue to push this, which is really awesome. Uh, I think it's cool. So if you want to check out Zero Code Conference, zerocode.com, not with a C, with a Q, zerocode.com slash zerocodeconf, both of those with Cs. So you're better off just clicking on the link in the show notes probably, but link in the show notes if you want to check that out. Uh, today was a weird day. Uh, so two really big news items that I'm just super pumped about. Coda. Coda announced they raised a Series C round of $80 million. Like, oh my gosh, I can't even wrap my head around it. It is so cool. And as a Coda geek and huge fan, I am super excited about this. Uh, I don't know how you two feel, but like I am ridiculously pumped. I think this is going to be really, really cool for the code team and for the product in general. 80 million, it says a lot about how confident investors are in the future and how confident the progress is right now. Um, I'm excited to see it. Like, I, I, I mean, you know, you gave me crap for this before, but you know, maybe switching off of Coda, maybe maybe it was a temporary change. Maybe we'll go back, but maybe that wasn't the best move because that is an amazing platform, uh, and we'll probably need to switch back soon enough. I think it's cool. They're, they said they're investing in the fundamentals, so like performance, like just making the product solid, more stable. Um, you know. Uh, make it feel, I think one of the words they used is snappy. There'll probably be some enterprise pieces there too. Um, they talked about making things simple. So just, you know, making the most common interactions, like taking meeting notes is I think the example they gave and just making that easier and better experience for you. And then I think the other thing there was an ecosystem of docs and packs. Uh, so I love the Coda packs. I think they're super incredible I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but like you can build some wild and insane things with the Coda packs. Like it's incredible the the kind of things that you can accomplish using those. And so I cannot wait to see where that goes. They've got V1 of their API out, uh, and they're going to continue to grow and expand. And uh, so super excited about that. Uh, definitely check that out. Um, also, there's something that happens when companies get funding, uh, and we'll see this theme as like they. They have jobs open. So listen, if you are a Coda fanatic and you're like, I've wanted to work at no code for a while, now's your chance. They have some positions open um, in product and design and growth and in engineering. Um, and it looks like they have some really cool perks and some, some really uh, great benefits. So definitely check those out um, and, go, but, and, and go, go take a look. But link in the show notes to all of this. Um, but I was super excited for the Coda team uh, since I'm a giant Coda nerd. I just think this is super cool. So uh, awesome. And in that same vein, uh, Parabola, they raised a Series A round of $8 million. Uh, so uh, they, they, they raised some money and are, are going to be doing some really cool work as well. They talked about, I think they're going to be hiring, you know, with an influx of money. So we'll see 
uh, some of that as well. So common theme and, and they're, they're excited about the future of the product. You can grab a link in our show notes to kind of read the announcement, but super excited for their team and, and what this means for Parabola. Uh, I think we've talked about it here, but we're huge Parabola nerds. Um, we love the product. I don't know if I could get by without it. Uh, it's just so, it's so good. It makes life so easy. Um, also in Parabola news, they have a feature update, which is really cool. Um, they have common and helpful recipes in the sidebar now. We have a link to this if you want to go check it out. But recipes, so essentially, like, you can look, and it's based around an app, like Shopify, you know, send all my daily orders to X or give me a breakdown of how much, you know, my custom sales reporting pieces. But they have all these things available. They're things that people may build pretty commonly. And so it shows you – it keeps you from having to build it. Basically you can just connect your apps and it just does all the work, which is really cool. Uh, but the other thing is, I think, I think we talked about this with Adalo opening their clonables uh, section, Webflow has clonables. This is such a great way to learn like how to use Parabola, right? Like if you were, if you've ever looked at somebody post a Parabola for a flow and you go like, Oh my gosh, that really just makes my head hurt and gives me anxiety. And I don't know if I could do this, like to be able to pick up a pre-built flow, and just kind of go through and see what all, all the items are doing and kind of learn how to build there and the best way to, to tackle it. I mean, this is really cool. So it should help people pick up Parabola. And I think it's a really cool thing. So stoked for Parabola. This is really cool, uh, really cool updates. Uh, we've reached the hackathon portion of the no code roundup. Um, your V1, we've talked about this before, but August 27th, they're having a 72 hour um, hackathon and you can register via the link in the show notes. It's yourv1.com slash hackathon. Um, and you're going to get 72 hour access to your V1 and you get to build for 72 hours and uh, some really cool prizes for the winners. So, you know, you win 500 bucks, uh, which is nothing to sneeze at. They have a type form on their page there, their landing page where you can just uh, quickly register and sign up. Um, so definitely check that out. Also, um, the folks at No Coterie, uh, they have posted about uh, a hackathon community. I think they're starting. So link in the show notes to go sign up, put in your email address, but it's to join um, a Slack community. And then um, by joining that Slack community, they're going to start doing some different hackathons. So I think some of the things mentioned are weekend hackathon, uh, you know, themed hackathon with any tool, a month-long hackathon for people maybe who are busier and they can't, you know, take a day to just play or two days to, to build things. So uh, it's pretty cool. Definitely want to go check that out and sign up, make sure you're part of that community. And, uh, and so you're, you can get the updates and you can make sure that you don't get left out when that first hackathon starts. Glide, we're the official unofficial Glide podcast. And so here with another update from Glide, uh, they did update the progress bar. So um, they made some updates to how it works and give it some extra features, but then also um, added some different styles. So they had the bar, but now it's like circle and like half circle where it looks like, you know, that, uh, you know, a, a fuel gauge on a car, I guess, uh, or what have you. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Uh, definitely go check that out. Um, and that's, like I said, I think we've talked about this before. Glide just keeps pushing out these great features that just make your app look more polished and professional and incredible. And so if you're looking to build something without writing any code and you've got some data, uh, we couldn't recommend more jumping into Glide. So 
that's new from Glide. Zapier, they have a new Gmail integration, which I think is really cool. Um, if you're if you're like a Gmail power user, G Suite power user, but then you know you like Gmail has that to do list in the side, but like who's actually using that to track tasks? I don't think a lot of people uh, use that. You know, it's just not very powerful and flexible. But you know, with this new Gmail integration, you can literally kick off uh, Zaps right from your inbox without having to leave or go anywhere. So if you wanted to take an email and turn it into an Asana task, you could do that. I mean, straight from or ClickUp or whatever it is you use, uh, you can do that straight from Gmail without leaving. I think this is a really cool feature from Zapier and I really love it. So a link in the show notes to go check that out. Um, there's a tweet and the blog update introducing it. And they, in the blog update, they talk about all the different cool things that you can do uh, with it. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Integromat. Integromat posted a really interesting blog post. I don't know if this is necessarily no code, but they talk about like the ultimate guide to electronic document management systems, which is like, you know, you think of G Suite or, or Google Drive or Dropbox Paper. It's pretty interesting and enlightening. So if you're just kind of like to nerd out about web apps, it's definitely something to check out. And then they also posted a, a great link uh, that to talk about like how you can think about using Integromat now that Privacy Shield has been canceled. I know that there's a lot of people talking about this and it's like, okay, what does this mean now? And um, if you live in Europe and work in Europe and you want to work with tech partners across, you know, the sea here in America and the States, you know, this can, this can really be impactful and, and come to <laughs> cause some issues. So uh, they, they, they do a great job drilling in, talking about what you can expect from Integromat and how they're dealing with it. It's really cool. So link in the show notes, definitely go check that out. Stacker. I feel like it's been a while since we've talked about Stacker. Um, you know, they had, well, it was Airtable originally, and then Google Sheets, or was it vice versa? Yeah, it was, it it was, was Airtable, Airtable then Sheets. And they came out with something called Toga, which was Sheets. Right. But then I, right. I don't know what happened to Toga because I feel like they kind of folded that into Stacker. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe yeah. the move was create a new product so you can skirt product or product hunt rules and launch within six months. Get some email addresses that you know people are interested in, like for the Google Sheets one specifically. I think that I think they're geniuses. I love it. Uh, but go on talk about one of my favorite favorite yeah. platforms <laughs> yeah i love it so uh they say this was on august 6th so this week is their is their one year from when they started work on stacker so to celebrate uh, they're releasing three new features every day this entire week so they've already released three features today they released three features a day ago three features on Monday um, and we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, so, you know, there's custom, uh, list headers, custom CSS, client logos, profile layouts, profile images, rows, list types, uh, faster data, collaboration feeds. Like there's all these different things, easier homepages. They've been going through and, and releasing these features. And so if you're a stacker fan or if you've been wanting to build an app, and you've got data that sits in Airtable like that, and, and you want to build based off of that, um, this is the perfect chance for you to kind of get to know Stacker um, and then to, to take advantage of some of these new features because these all look and sound really cool. So props to the Stacker team. I'm really excited for you. And this is a really cool idea, like just overwhelming people with releases. I love it. Uh, everybody's got to be chomping at the bit, ready to see what comes next. So really, really cool. 
it's nice because uh, I had things that I've upvoted on their roadmap. And so I'd get like the emails like, oh, yeah, here are the three new features. And then I'd also get another email that said, hey, we shipped this feature. And it's like, oh, my God, these are the things I'm like I've been waiting for. So just it feels good as an as an end user to see that. It's really cool. Um, also, Adalo. Adalo has uh, a new feature where you can bulk delete records in your database. So if you want to, you know, select multiple records, delete all that, you can do that now before you have to do it one at a time. So this is going to make your life a whole lot easier. And then finally, uh, Pixel Geek, Nelson, who we've had on. Link in the show notes to go listen to that episode if you want to hear from Nelson. But um, uh, you might know him as Pixel Geek, pixelgeek.community. Um, he's starting a Webflow community, which is really, really cool. So if you're somebody who loves learning, wants to learn more about Webflow, loves connecting with other Webflow people, um, this is a great chance uh, for you to connect with some really, really awesome people and to learn a lot of really cool things. So definitely go check this out. Uh, give Nelson some support. And you got a place where you can like drop in your email and sign up. And then he's going to release updates when it's ready to roll. So. Super stoked for Nelson, too. I think that's going to be super fun. Definitely go check it out. And that is this week's No Code Roundup. I feel like that was really long. I tried <laughs> I tried not to move too fast, but it was like, if we really expand on all of this, we're going to be here all night. So, uh, But good stuff. Lots of, lots of stuff happening in No Code. I'm pretty excited about it. So let's jump in. Let's change pace here, and let's talk a little bit about um, – about what happened on Monday night. So it was Monday night, right? I'm not, it's been a long yeah, week. Yeah, it's been a long <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long week. So Monday, uh, so we were, we were invited to talk to a group of students at Stanford, uh, essentially an AMA section where s- students could bounce questions uh, off of us and we could kind of answer some of, the things that they were curious about and, and we just kind of have a conversation about, you know, no code, different things in no code. And this was actually a no code class at Stanford. So it was a class all about no code. Um, and they've had a lot of really cool people um, take part in this process already. And so we were honored to, to get to jump in and be a part of it. It was really fun. Um, so let's just dive in when we, when we jumped in, go ahead. Well, I just want to give a shout out to our main man, Elliot Adams, who is teaching the course. Uh, He is actually crazy enough. He lives in Oklahoma City, uh, which is where Ben and I live. And he, he, okay, we, we accept no OKC slander in this chat. Okay, so just, just get out of here. This is clearly the breeding. This is the next San Francisco. Okay, it's a breeding ground. Stop it. That's what you're doing. <laughs> Breeding ground for amazing talent. Okay. Clearly. For greatness. And for greatness. Okay. We're on the come up. Anyways, Elliot reached out to us. Uh, you know, we talked about, we talked to him before he, he did the, actually started the class. Um, and he was, so, he's so kind. Uh, he, his track record is amazing. I don't know if any of you know the CD baby story. Um, there's a Tim Ferriss episode about it with his, his partner, Derek Sivers. Um, it's just, he was the CTO of, of CD baby and he's done a lot of amazing stuff since then. Um, and we were so happy to just be invited by him, um, to come talk with his class. And, and it, it's amazing his way of, of teaching things. I feel like we totally just aligned on kind of like 
perspectives and methods and things like that. And he's just such a smart guy. So just wanted to put that out there before we started talking about it. Um, big, big thanks to him for having us. You beat me to it. I was going to do a big thing at the end, but we'll just do it at the start. It's great. Um, yeah. And props to Elliot. Uh, super cool and kind for him to have us, um, which, which I loved. Uh, you know, when we joined, he was like, join between this time and this time. It was a Zoom call. And uh, we'll be on break. And they weren't on break yet uh, and uh, got to catch a little bit of his, his lecture, which was pretty fun. Uh, they were talking about uh, mobile app builders, uh, no-code mobile app builders, which was really, really cool. So, uh, but we jumped in and students uh, and Elliot had questions and we kind of rolled through those. And so we just wanted to talk a little bit about like what's, on, what's top of their mind and what were they thinking about. Um, so let's just dive into it. Um, one of the first questions that we were asked is from a security standpoint, which platforms would you choose? Like, you know, if we're talking about, uh, about, you know, building something in no code, you know, how do you, how do you choose which platform maybe it's best from a security perspective? So, uh, I think Matt, you talked a little bit about this one. So you want to, you want to weigh in here? Yeah, sure. So this is actually interesting because, a couple of weeks before we did the class, uh, all three of us had a call with Elliot. And one of the things we talked about is how in his experience, when he's talking with these larger companies, they refuse to use platforms like Integramet because there is no sort of compliance type system that something like you know Zapier Enterprise would offer you. And all of the data is going to the Czech Republic. So every CTO, CIO is immediately just like, okay, yeah, like we can't do that. And so yeah, the question that was asked was, you know, like if if security is top of mind, what's what's your go-to? And to me, I think the go-to is I, I feel like if I was doing it for a client, the only people I'd be comfortable with are the larger players, because I know that, you know, they have they have to have the right alignment too. Um, and so like, you know, whether it's security or whether it's, you know, we've seen this with, with Webflow on the privacy side of things. Like I, I saw them add in those little GDPR toggles on the back end to, you know, hide form submissions. I love seeing things like that. And I feel like we're only going to see that from the bigger entities that have compliance departments and security departments and things like that. You're not going to see it from the the one person start no code startup, but you will see it with the Zapiers of the world, the Webflows of the world. Um, and things of that nature. And so I would probably personally only go with the bigger names if security was like, you know, my top of mind focus. I don't know if either of you would differ on that. Um, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts because I don't know if we all got to talk about that one. Yeah, um, I agree mostly. I think the one that I've researched the most for security stuff, like when I do consulting work, has been NAC. And NAC to me seems by far the most if you're looking for like uh, to really build your own no-code app, like your own software, then then NAC is the most advanced that I've seen. Um, and I even think it's HIPAA compliant, which is also a huge thing. So, you know, but I definitely do agree, though, that the smaller ones, it's just, you know, enterprises is obviously thinking security. And so if they want to go that route, then they have to think that way, too. Yeah, you know, JotForm has HIPAA compliance. Like you think about some of those companies that offer that level of security. I think the hard thing here is when you build with no code, by default, there are security issues. I just feel, I feel like, you know, like. Uh, what makes you say that? Like elaborate. Like are you saying like 
things are on the client side or what do you mean? So there's a couple things like a lot of these, like, like we talk about the tools we love for membership stuff a lot. Right. But like, if you turn JavaScript off, they don't really work properly. And you can do things to reroute people who have JavaScript turned off too. But at the same time, you can't put any sensitive data there, right? And then, you know, you think about things like Zapier. Like, let's say you work with uh, people and you have multiple people accessing a Zap. You have to sometimes open up your entire permission to an account. And now, like, all of this information is available to maybe a contractor or an employer, and it's all running through Zapier. And like, let's say something, God forbid, happens and Zapier has a bug and like some of that stuff leaks in different ways, um, you know, and let's say uh, permissions change or things, you know, vary. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, or just somebody building uh, makes, makes a mistake there. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for error because it's not, you know, by default, there's not a system in place and there's no, most people building apps with, with, with no code, they don't QA anything, right? Like, I mean, you're like tested, like, did it work for me? It worked for me. But like, you don't go and specifically try to like, how can I break this? Sure. And, and what are the vulnerabilities, you know? And I, I mean, it's especially like if you're a one man shop and like one of the things people talk about with, with no code is build for speed. And it's like, that's great. But like, if you're, you're not queuing and you're not really like, okay, from a security standpoint, where am I vulnerable? Have I really 100%. like looked at all of this, you know? And so I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of, I, I think it also just depends on how you build it too. So, and just how you go about sharing different pieces and accounts. And so is your answer, you probably, if security was like top priority, no code may not be the solution because that's an interesting answer. I don't think if it's not the solution, I think it's, once again, it has to be built properly with that in mind, right? Like you have to be thinking about that. And then you just have to think about where your clients live and what, what laws apply to them and like how specific do you want to get here? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, some people like just build it and we'll ask for permission later. And like, (laughs) like, okay. Like, yeah, try doing that with regulatory and compliance agencies and you're going to have a very bad you know, time. Right. With e-commerce, it's not really viable, but like, you know, if you're just building like a, if you're building some sort of membership gated content site, you know, you could probably get away with a lot of that and not really think about a ton of it. Um, and I'm with you, you know, I definitely don't want to pick a smaller name that's not proven. Um, and so, you know, you definitely think about the larger, the larger companies who've spent time or who have enterprise offerings and who are really thinking about those pieces and trying to protect you. So, yeah, that came up. It was a fun conversation because you can definitely tell for people who want to build things, it's, that's top of mind for them. So um, I, I think that uh, another thing that uh, another question that they asked was, how do, this was a, like top, how do you choose the right no code tool? And I really feel like this conversation comes up a lot. Like how, how do you know you're using the right thing? And I think it, correct me if I'm wrong, but there were a couple things here. Like one, how do I understand, how do I know which no code tool has the right feature? So that was part of it. But two, it's kind of like, what if I choose the wrong tool? I think this was the concern of the, of the students. What if I choose the wrong tool and I get a little ways down the road and then I find out, oh my gosh, I need a different tool. Like this isn't going to work for me. What do I do? Um, and so I really feel like this was an, an interesting an interesting topic too. Uh, and it was interesting that this is something they were thinking about 
so Matt, Lacey, you want to weigh in on this? I think we all three weighed in on it, but. Yeah, um, I think it is an interesting conversation and it's something I'm actually looking to do like a little write up on uh, just for, I don't know, to help people through it. Cause I think um, people get like analysis paralysis where they're just like examining these tools and it's stopping them from going forward. So it's kind of like you have to under, like you need to know some basic fundamentals of what you're trying to build. Like if you're trying to get something in the, you know, iTunes store, I probably wouldn't put it on Webflow. You know what I mean? Like you're just not going to get there. But um, I think that there are considerations. However, my kind of advice is to start building smaller things other than what you think you want to build to kind of start understanding the platforms better and what you might need. Um, because I think it's stopping too many people and it shouldn't. Yeah. I, I think you're dead on. Uh, like I, I think you hit every, every point perfectly. Um, I think uh, one thing that we talked about on the call is kind of these no code lists that have been coming up. I think the one that I would probably point to now is no code list.co by Drew Thomas. Um, just because, you know, it's maybe it's not the, the perfect reference for an, a newbie um, that it's like just trying to figure things out, but it's nice. Cause like it, it breaks things down into categories, like the tools in the no code space. And so uh, I think, I think a tool like this is amazing. Uh, it's free. We've talked about this on the, on the previous, you know, podcast episodes. You don't have to go pay for a list. Uh, it's right here. And so I, I think starting there, but I also think that, you know, talking to people is just like a cool thing to do. Like, like all three of us, it's kind of one of those things. If like if you DM us with a simple question, um, you know, we'll be more than happy to answer in our free time and just try to help where we can. I think that's the nice thing with the no code community too. I think everyone's pretty willing to help. Um, and it's hopefully in my book, less toxic than uh, maybe general tech is, but uh, yeah, I think talking to people, like that's a good guiding resource too, because there are a lot of people, we're all like doing this together, figuring it out together. So uh, yeah, I, w- I would probably throw that in the mix, even though I didn't on Monday night. Yeah, I, for me, it was kind of one of those things where I talked about like there's there's different categories of tools. I mean, there there are three or four main categories. I mean, you could throw a fifth, fifth and so like there's so for me there's like front end like building on the front end. There's automations which is like running your processes. There's the back end where all your data is being stored. Um, so you know a lot of tools fall into those one of those different categories. Um, you know, there's also like the mobile app category and then you could keep extending, like there's e-commerce, which is technically its own category, even though it falls into these others. Right. So there's, there's different pieces, but, you know, I think for me, one of the things that I mentioned was that, you know, one of the things we talked about from the beginning of this podcast, I think we even talked about episode one was no code is meant to validate ideas uh, in part. Right. And so, Almost all no-code tools use some sort of database that you can export your content to CSV, you know, or it's in some, it's in Airtable, it's in Google, like it's easy to get this content out. You would use a tool like Parabola to pull it all out and export it and drop it in a Google sheet and you can take it and use it with another tool. So, you know, moving from tool to tool isn't so scary to me because I think that, you know, you can really, you know, move around, but like, uh, you know, I think it's just saying like, okay, I'm just going to build it. Like <laughs> the best thing I can do is start and just build it. And if the idea is great, you know, 
scalability doesn't really matter as much because if it's an idea that's worth something, then, you know, I might discard no code to, and, and, you know, turn this into something that's built like in react or, you know, on rails or like whatever, right. Like, uh, and, and hire an engineer and do this thing, uh, traditional way. So anyway, um, that's one thing that they asked about. We talked about Webflow in that answer. So one question was, why is Webflow so neat? Um, what makes it different? I thought that was so um, funny that it was literally, <laughs> why is Webflow so neat? <laughs> like, that just cracked me up. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, you know, we talked about how there's a lot of website builders out there. Um, and with website builders, you know, typically you're, you know, Squarespace, you get a theme. And you can do some really cool things with it. You know, card, you can get pretty out there, right? But if you're talking about fidelity, like look at a website and rebuild it, like Webflow allows you to just have that full customization and control. You can, if you can see it, if you see it somewhere else, you can go do it in Webflow, uh, you know, pretty much. And so uh, that's what makes it, you know, so extensible and powerful. So we talked a little bit about that. Um, and then we talked about member stack too. And so there was a question about what was member stack. Um, and if you don't use member stack, uh, we have a whole episode on it. I highly recommend you go back and, and listen to it and uh, learn a little bit about it. We, we, we interviewed their founders, great people, um, Duncan and Tyler. So definitely go check that out. Um, so Coda was another tool that was mentioned, I think. Um, and so they wanted an example of something that was built in Coda. I think sometimes people have a hard time understanding like, building because you hear people say i built an app in coda and you're like wait you know i think the first thing you think of is like people can log in and interact and get a dashboard and yeah but not i mean it is a doc right like it is it is a doc and so we talked a little bit about coda packs and i think we went into detail a little bit on on one of the ones i built which i think i've mentioned here before our coda episode but you know building an issue tracker in Coda that was pulling in GitHub issues and, and tracking all of those different pieces and pain points and all the power that's available there. So it's pretty neat. Talked about that. Um, then here's a question I would love for Lacey to talk a little bit about, um, you know, how is enterprise using automation and no code and, you know, kind of what have we done on that front? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I see it a lot with like internal tools that they're looking to really maximize their efficiency internally and get um, pressure and tasks off of their engineering and web development teams. And so I think that that's like, that's the biggest thing that I've come across. That's something that people are most interested in. Um, they love that, you know, like you can, they can hand their, uh, websites over to like Webflow, their marketing team can do it. They can start, excuse me, like kind of parsing out this information, like this, these tasks. So their different teams can be highly, highly efficient and functional. And so um, that's what I've seen primarily happening with the, the enterprise teams is those internal tools, how they're going to be the most efficient, even in ways of having them rethink their own efficiency, which has been really fascinating. And if you ever want to watch a team communicate, just sit and watch a meeting with them talking about how they're productive and how they're not productive and who disagrees and all of those back and forth. It's very fascinating. I love it. Yeah. Lacey doing some extensive work with different companies, including Bloomberg Beta and uh, our team actually 
the whole team did a one day thing and Lacey spent extensive amount of time working with their team and, and many others. So if that's something you're listening and you're interested in, you should reach out. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, but there were questions there just about how does enterprise and, and that circled back to the security question again, you know, like how quickly can an enterprise team really feel comfortable just dumping some of their data into these third party tools? Cause it technically, you know, it's not something you own or have complete control of, right? So it is It is a little different. Um, there were two moments in the class I really felt like where when we started talking, where there was one question that was asked and all the heads started nodding because everybody wanted to like have that question. And then there was another moment where we gave an answer and all the heads started nodding. There were like these two moments of like, we are all on the same page and feels, right? Like, uh, so the first was uh, one of the students asked, mobile first or mobile app? Like, you know, so should I just build a mobile first website or should I build an app? And uh, this was a great discussion that went on for a really long time. Uh, but uh, it was a great question. And I feel like, uh, you know, there is a lot of effort around mobile app builders. And, and it's, uh, Matt, I, wanna, I want you to speak to this, but I feel like it's this funny, it's this these two conflicting ideas for a really long time. Everybody's wanted this mobile app builder, like where you can really easily build a mobile app. And it feels like now's also the time where maybe you wouldn't choose that first. Um, and so I don't know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, most definitely. So I think the thing that we had talked about um, when this question was asked was, so my, my train of thought is whenever I'm building a product and I need to decide you know, like I'll have to decide, you know, what should my priority be like the website or building an app? And I almost always avoid building an app because now like the process of like getting someone to like go through the process of installing an app on your phone is like, there's quite a lot of friction there. They have to go to their app store, type in your app name, install the app on their phone, sign in with their credentials on the app, things like that. But if you just have like a great mobile web experience, um, then like, you know, your login credentials will save things like that. Um, and you don't have to go download anything onto your phone. You can do everything that you need to do in the app, in my browser. Um, and it doesn't take up space or anything like that. And I think, you know, like a lot, there's a lot of considerations, I guess, um, when determining whether you want a mobile app, um, for your product. But like, I feel like the biggest one to me is, um, you know, I guess like push notifications, that's something you're missing in, in a web app, uh, or sorry, in a mobile, mobile web. Um, and you're also missing, I, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you know, PWAs can't support uh, notifications either, or maybe they can through some third-party service. I can't remember if something, I think I saw something called push bullet or something like that can maybe do it. But like, it's not, I don't think it's ideal. So like, if like, if I was building like Headspace, like a meditation app that like is supposed to give me daily reminders each day. And I, for some reason, can't do that over email. Like I can't notify the person over email. Then yeah, maybe like I'd go with a mobile app first um, type path. But you know, in almost all instances, I do not advise people and I don't advise myself to go build a mobile app. Cause like it just, it probably isn't the best use of time in my book. And there's just so much friction in that process. Yeah. For me, the thought that comes up is minimum viable product. Like what yep. do I have to do to get this launched? Do I need an app? And I think there's some 
you know, when you think about building an app, even with like a visual app, like, you know, not writing the code, you still have to pay developer fees and, you know, you have to get that, you have to apply to the app store and then you have to think about updates and what that looks like and all those different pieces. Um, so there's a lot that, that comes with it, a lot of extra work. But at the same time, you know, if you need some of these features where, you know, you really, that like you talked about push notifications or different things, uh, you know, it might be your only choice, but for me, it's kind of like, okay, scope out what, you know, for me, the question is, what am I trying to accomplish? Like, what do I, what do I need to do? Okay. What does it need to look like? Let's scheme the data. What, what has to happen here? And if I don't need to to, to build an app, uh, uh, you know, a, a native app and I can just have it run in the web, I'm always going to lean that direction just because it's a lot less hassle and it's going to be a lot quicker to stand up. But, you know, you look at, at, we have, we talked about a dollar components like there's a great new component component like the whole component marketplace that came along where you know I'll never forget when this podcast started we were looking to do some mobile stuff and you know there were features we were after and like you know it wasn't there and even you know draft bit they were like do you know react because once you export you're gonna have to like you know do a, like a little you have to know something to like really get it buttoned up and get it to the app store and you know some of these components that you're looking for weren't available uh but draft has made a ton of progress and so very different now adalo ton of progress very different game now so it should be much easier for you to take uh create an app and and to really get it into the uh into a, an app store but it was a fun conversation it's fun hearing that debate of you know, do I need that or do I not? So super fun. Uh, it was a great question. So, but when that question was asked, there were a lot of nodding heads in this in the room where it was like, yes, please answer that question. Um, and then the other one was, we got, we got asked about bubble. And so cards on the table, we've talked about this, but I, and this is one of the things I, I've said, I said, on this podcast, I said it in this class, I'll say it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You know, you have apps out there that are really great at building front ends. You have apps out there that are really great at building back ends, but nobody has really, in to my mind, really buttoned up the whole process, right? And I think when somebody does, it's going to be a game changer. And for me, Bubble like when you build with it, all the backend pieces are there and, and you can build these backend apps and it's all in one container. You don't have to stitch multiple things together. Now you still can, you can you know, use some of those tools, but it can live in one app. There are plugins available. There's all these different pieces. But what I mentioned was Bubble's really hard to build a front end with and, um, and to really dial in your UI and make it look good. As soon as I said this, it was like, the whole class, like reacting nods and some claps and finger snaps, you know, that was a general feeling. Um, and it was really funny because I really felt like the students want to use Bubble. Like they have this desire to use it, but there's this intimidation factor or this friction there for them trying to to build on the front end and really be able to use that. Um, which made me think there's a link in the show notes here, but there was a great conversation on Twitter where, uh, somebody talked about building an Air, Air, uh, Airbnb clone with Webflow. And, um, you know, if you look at that, that got quote tweeted by Emmanuel, who's uh, the CEO and founder of Bubble. He talked about how you would need multiple tools to do that, but you could do it just in Bubble. And there were a lot of really great 
it was a, a good tweet thread. You should go read it. Um, and so that link, but Jordan Shotwell kind of summed up what I feel like the students where the students were at, which is, you know, it's that UI to match Webflow's capabilities. And, you know, if that was there, building responsive apps can be done with so much more ease. And that's where the struggle really is for, for Jordan. Um, and so I really felt like that was the same for the students. It seemed like they had all tried to jump in and give that a go, but they've kind of been stopped. And so, um, you know, I look forward, I think Bubble's making strides and doing some great things. And so, uh, you know, and I did, we did mention that there's that new Bubble course that kind of talks about building some of that where uh, that's out now, which I think is going to be a huge help. So hopefully um, there's some progress made on that. But there, those were the two moments, I think, mobile first or mobile app. And then also that, why is Bubble so hard for me? <laughs> I think those were the two things where people really were like, ah, it's really tough. Um, but uh, it was pretty neat. Uh, other things that came up were um, portability of tools. And we touched on this some um, with things being in a database, being able to take it. But um, they wanted a, us to put somebody on blast uh, and name, like, where's defenders in no code? Like, where is it hard to get your data out of? Um, you know, if you can just export your data out of anywhere, where can you go get it? Um, it was hard to answer this question. I mean, I think we all were like, Oof, I don't. You gave a pretty good answer, though. Like, in, in essence, didn't you essentially say, like, as long as you can get your data out, it, like, it doesn't matter? Yeah, and most tools let you get your data out. I think we had one exception uh, that Matt thought of. I didn't even think about it. It was a good exception. Uh, and we're not trying to put anybody on blast here, but that was Notion, right? Yeah, yeah. Because Notion has no API. And, like, they've, you know... They've claimed an API that an API was coming for for many years, but you know it just hasn't come through yet. And I think they said uh, now it's going to be the end of the year or something like that. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. But and like it's not like you can't like I guess manually and copy like copy and paste data out of your um, Notion doc. But I mean consider a Notion table versus a Coda table. Like it's a lot easier to extract the data out of Coda if you need it, then it is on Notion. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about in, that in one of our Coda episodes. Like, it, it's just so much easier to programmatically do things um, with Coda than it is with Notion. And that's not a jab at them. I think Notion is a great tool. It's just like, that's something to keep in mind whenever you're building. Now, with Notion, you can export your data out. So, like, it's just not easy, right? Like they have, you can export your data as PDF, as HTML, or as Markdown and CSV, right? So where it's like, you know, Markdown docs, which is easy to convert and use, like almost everything supports Markdown at this point. And then, um, and then CSV, I think of the tables is the way I understand it. But like, yeah, you know, it's, it's once, as long as you have access to your data, it's just that some tools might take you longer to get all of it out. Like Notion where you're gonna have to, you know, you can then export the page and all the subpages, but you might have to, you know, do that a few times and then you kind of got to clean that up and take it where you want. Uh, but as long as you, as long as the tool you're using offers a way for you to get the data out, that's really all that matters. Right. Um, so, uh, so that was, that was another concern. And then uh, last but not least, they'd, this was a funny one. Uh, there was a question about Microsoft lists versus Airtable, um, which was, uh, which is interesting. Uh, I don't know if anybody listening to this uses Microsoft lists. I'm just, I'm curious about how many people use it, but uh, you know, 
Uh, it was an interesting conversation. And if you look at just Google Microsoft lists, right, um, I, I, I think you'll find that uh, they, they owe Airtable's design team an apology. <laughs> Total <laughs> ripoff. Of it Airtable. really, it, it really like, is. I saw that and that made me like really bummed to see that because it's like, there are people that have put so much effort into the design of these tools and you just take it and like kind of, you know, for all we know, just kind of shamelessly steal it. Um, it makes me think like, like, what are you doing? And you know what I mean? Like, and Airtable is a great tool, but it's just like, you're Microsoft. Like you don't have original ideas that you can't take and, you know, bring to life here. That's just a total bummer. Yeah. And it's one of those things too. They were like, well, when would you like, when would you reach for that versus, you know, whatever. I think Matt talked about this. Some we talk about, I think we've all talked about this in the podcast. You use what you know. Like if you're somebody who lives in the Microsoft ecosystem and you're like, I love lists. Great. Use it. Like if it does what you need it to do. Great. But also, you know, Airtable is slowly turning into like this monster. They've got automations and custom code blocks and like all these different, there's so many incredible things you can do in Airtable now. It's becoming very powerful. You know, uh, I think early on, I was not a big in, as an Airtable fan. Um, but the more features they release and the more robust it gets, the more I'm like, whew, hard not to just use Airtable, you know, because uh, there's so much there. So uh, it's good stuff. But it was a funny question. And um, you can definitely tell uh, there are folks who are new to the space and just trying to figure figure out, find which way they should go. And of course we couldn't capture all those conversations here, but we did want to kind of give you just an idea of this is what was being talked about. This is what was top of mind. This is what, uh, you know, these are the things that we were hit with uh, and things that they wanted to know. And it was, uh, it was a super interesting experience. Um, and once again, super thankful to Elliot for allowing us to be a part of that. It was really fun. We really enjoyed chatting with the students and, and just kind of getting into connecting and answering questions and, um, and it was a, it was a good time. So that was, that was kind of, again, there's probably a few things we're missing here, but, um, that's kind of a good recap of, of what was top of mind for them and, and kind of what the conversation looked like from, from our end. So, um, it was really great. I think we will, uh, update the show notes when we hear from Elliot, but I believe they are coming back and offering this course in future semesters. So if you're interested, I put Elliot's Twitter in the show notes. Um, so at the very least, shoot him a DM um, and he, you know, he can probably advise you from there. Yeah, if you want to take a Stanford class on no code, be super cool. Definitely go check it out, right? Uh, good stuff. So we just want to thank you for listening. We appreciate all of you so much. Um, lots of good stuff here. Uh, lots of fun, new stuff in no code. And like I said, it was really fun just, uh, feeling the energy and having a lot of conversation with, with the folks in, in the uh, no code class. So hope you enjoyed it and we'll catch you all next week. Bye. Deuce. Thanks for listening to visualdev.fm. You can find us on your favorite social media platform at visualdev.fm.